Hi, and welcome back to the Business of Healthcare podcast. I'm your host, Tara Humphrey. I run an award-winning healthcare consultancy specialising in supporting primary care networks. I'm a facilitator. I am a mum of three. I have an MBA and I would class myself as a bit of an adventurer. And I absolutely love all things business, all things leadership, all things management. So I created this podcast for clinical and non-clinical colleagues working in the field of health and care and for those of you looking to develop your leadership skills. Every week we release an episode which focuses on the hard and soft skills required to lead in this increasingly complex environment as we move to delivering more integrated care. So let's jump into this week's episode. Brandy, thank you so much for joining me today on the Business of Healthcare podcast. How are you doing? I'm really well, thank you. Um, and it's a pleasure to be here. Um, thank you for inviting me. My pleasure, my pleasure. Our paths cross because I think you really kindly left. I think that you messaged me on LinkedIn and was like, you look like me. <laughs> like, I look like you. <laughs> yeah so I think it's a it's, I really appreciate that um for people that uh, can't see us Brandy and I are both black so that's when somebody messages you a really lovely comment it, it does mean the world and I was walking to work and I was just scrolling through my Instagram feed I think is it the Oscars or the Grammys um have just been announced and you know when people say representation matters and you kind of like hashtag representation matters and you're like you get it and you understand it but it really 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 does matter when I see somebody that I think um you know like it's a female entrepreneur a female leader and they're of color it's so motivating it's so inspiring likewise Sarah likewise I um I, I live in the countryside so I'm very used to going up to people and going hey you look like me I, I <laughs> so, so I, I have a confession to make I, I, I'm very used to doing that but um this was very meaningful for me because this was primary care an industry that I, I worked in um and seeing you and what you're doing in primary care um I mean it's 18 months exactly today actually so I'm pleased to be here since I joined primary care and seeing what you were doing the fact that you looked like me it was just a no-brainer so I I could I didn't even I don't think I even read back to see if there was any mistakes I'm like oh my god <laughs> <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> um, so it, it was it was brilliant to get a response back from you thank you um, so for my listeners, could you introduce a little bit about who you are and what you do today? Certainly. So um, <clears throat> my name is Brandy, uh, spelled with an IE. I always like to chip that in. Um, I'm currently um, a chief exec uh, within primary care. Um, I lead a uh, super partnership, one of the largest in the UK. Uh, we have over 100 uh, million patients. Uh, in Somerset, predominantly in Western Well and Villages. Um, I'm new to primary care, been here 18 months today, uh, made that bonkers decision. Uh, don't know why, I'm sure you'll, you'll, you'll explore that later to join primary care after about 25 years in big corporate, um, the big corporate world. <clears throat> 
before this role, um, I worked um, at Michael P. White Restaurants. I was the managing director uh, for the UK and international, and I had a blast in that in that role and uh, joined Michael P. White Restaurants from uh, British Airways, where I looked after business transformation and then worked before then in Tesco, Travelodge um, and Hilton Hotels. So I've had a career um, mainly in the consumer service delivery industry um, and then of course now in healthcare, in aviation, hospitality, uh, retail and now in healthcare. Outside of work, uh, Tara and I was, we're just comparing those <laughs> pre uh, this recording. Uh, I've got twin boys uh, who are 14 um, and suddenly I found myself, I am so uncool anymore. And of course the husband, I'll just add him to the twin boys, shall I? So I've got, I've got those at home um, and I get, in, get involved in quite a few other things that I have passion around as well. So you're a non-executive director, right? I am a non-executive director. Um, I'm also a trustee. Um, I have three non-executive director roles. I'm a trustee. Uh, I'm also um, a JP. I'm a local magistrate. Um, and I also uh, do a fair bit around the community uh, as well. Busy, busy, busy lady. So why did you take the jump from an established uh, career in kind of the hospitality sector to come into healthcare and what, yeah, what, what, what led you to make that decision? So I've always been very passionate around inequalities from as long as I can remember. I actually remember getting myself in big trouble when I was 10 years old um, in my prep school because I was challenging the norms of our long skirts in the summer and why the boys were wearing shorts and we were all skirts and all that kind of stuff. So inequalities of all forms I've never liked. Um, and in my own way, I've been kind of unpeeling it and have, um, whilst having my career, I've always worked um, <clears throat> away from, from, from inequalities, but actually had side gigs, side interests um, in inequalities of all sorts. Um, for some reason, I had an epiphany about five years ago and realized that actually, if we could fix health inequalities, we could fix quite a lot of inequalities around um, the globe, um, because actually, <clears throat> If people are well and they actually start well in life, uh, live well in life, age well in life, then it becomes a little bit easier, doesn't it? The whole kaleidoscope comes together. And that's when I started thinking, I wish I could do something in healthcare. Um, I must confess, secondary care didn't, didn't excite me because I wanted something that could use my business nuance. And that's when I started exploring primary care. And I didn't find my way in primary care a lot because I didn't know where I quite fitted coming from an exec role in, in the corporate world. Um, so it took me a while to actually find my feet. And I, I didn't really want it in the system um, space, I don't think. I wanted to have real impact um, on the ground. And, and that's what brought me to primary care. How many jobs did you apply for? Two. Did you get off of both of them? Um, one, I pulled out um, okay. towards the very end um, because as I got closer, I realised that I, it would be good, um, but I probably wouldn't be able to make the impact that I, I wanted. Um, and the one that I, I took was just at the right time because the super partnership had formed. Um, and they were going for growth and scale and um, organizational rigor, which, which is where I wanted to be. I wanted to be part of where the action was happening and be a part of the shaping 
uh, not when it's all been done and I'm just a part um, just to me along. I don't have a skill set in just standing by and ticking along. How many practices are in your super partnership? We have eight now. They were bigger, and so we amalgamated a couple uh, to, to actually make them once. We've got eight practices now in the super partnership. And we've got a mobile vaccination team as well, um, who are a, a workforce on their own, but they're not um, assigned to any practices and they do um, vaccinations and deliver central services for us, town-wide services. So what is the definition of a super partnership? So a super partnership is when a group of like-minded practices come together to allow them to benefit from the economies of scale and to allow them to actually have structure around what they do. We are very lucky. We are a super uh, partnership. We're also our own locality, um, which is amazing. And we're also our own PCN. So we're one of very few. And so we make one decision and we scale it down and it works absolutely perfect for us. Hang on, right. <laughs> Stop there. Stop right there. <laughs> <laughs> okay how many patients we have over a hundred thousand patients in count of 102 670 how many who sits on your board okay so we have non-exec directors um one from each practice so each practice has a lead um person um the old gps uh, that sit on the board <clears throat> We also have an external um, um, non-exec director um, who is on our board, who actually happened to be our ex-CCG um, CEO. So we were very lucky in that one. Good, good shout for that one. We also have um, our lead nurse on the board. We also have our finance director on the board. Um, and of course, there is myself and our operations director all on the board. So what we do is we have obviously the governing board, which are the non-exec directors uh, and our chair and our, our external director. And then we've got the executives, <clears throat> a few of them sitting on the board. So we can actually um, share the delivery plans with the board. Um, and then our operations director feeds through all the practices and the teams in terms of what the thoughts are. So a really defined board. Do you think, so where you say you, your structure, you make one decision and you filter it down. Do you think if I came into your organisation and spoke to some of your practices and said, you know, what is happening with X, Y and Z, they would all absolutely know what is going on. Is it is it is it as easy and as simple as you think that it is? And does the communication flow down and up? Good, good question. Um, so everyone in the organization will be aware of the strategy. We actually have an organizational strategy, uh, yeah. which is a two-year strategy. Everybody will be uh, aware of it because one of the things that I, I started, I did when I joined was to actually do a bottom-up strategy rather than a top-down because I was acutely aware that the organisation was in, in its infancy and so needed everybody um, involved. So all our teams were involved in our strategy. So got a fit for future strategy. So they'll all know about it. They'll all know about the pillars and, and everything else. Will every individual that works for us know about where we are with the delivery plans? No. Some will know others when, depending on the 
the sector, the division, the department, the practice, and the challenges that are in that practice. So for instance, if I was in a practice where clinical, operational clinical delivery is a nightmare, I will know whether it's impacted me or not. If I was in a practice where um, resilience is an issue, so practice manager goes off and then everything falls apart, then I'll know that resilience is an issue. So it really does depend. But I think broadly, everybody will be hypnotically aware of what's going on. What has, what is, what was the biggest challenge you have encountered so far in creating that strategy? Um, <laughs> a few, a few. Let me walk you through them. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the main one, I think I probably, I'll say maybe gone through about five or six. The main one was around innovation and tradition balance. Okay. General practice has got some traditions that you can't walk away from. I mean, let's face it, you know, across the country, there are about 6,000 small businesses making up primary care, linked to about 150 hospitals, which are all independent. Um, we've got community services, ambulance, uh, over 300 authorities, you know, all having a hand in, in, in provision of, of care. So there are some traditions that are then some structural challenges. Um, and then I was coming from the big corporate world where innovation, as, as you well know, um, Tara, is key. You know, you have to innovate to stay ahead. So it was actually trying to get a strategy that balances innovation and tradition. So keep the good parts of the tradition of general practice, but slowly dumb down the ones that are probably very yesterday and then bring innovation, but introduce innovation really gently so that people aren't spooked. Um, <clears throat> because one of the things we have in general practice, as you know also, is longevity in, um, in employees. And actually with longevity comes real challenge around how you pace up speed of change. So from that perspective, I, I, I struggled with that balance um, for a while before I kind of struck the right one. So that was the first one. The second one was actually working in true collective value, and I mean really true collective value. So in the corporate world, this is a no-brainer, right? Because everybody around the table will probably be on a bonus, let's face it. And because you've got a bonus, it's in your interest to make the strategy happen, make things happen in the organisation, okay? In our world, it's slightly different. People are there for loads of various reasons and loads of passionate reasons, actually. So from that perspective, getting and, and bearing in mind that the strategy was bottom up. So we're not writing it at the top and delivering it. We're getting everybody's views. How did, how, you know, my, I woke up each day thinking and, and writing the strategy with the team took about three to six months. But each day I was thinking, how do we have true collective value and collaboration um, in, in, in making this happen? So that was the second one. Then there was the third one around actually, I, for my own sanity, my own reputation, my own career mapping, uh, my own personal reasons, I needed to make sure that any promises that I made were actually delivered and any problems that we pick up were fixed. So how do I deliver these promises and fix the problems that we've got? And I think 
um, finally, there was a bit around my own self-leadership. So we're going for a two-year strategy. How do I, I'm in a new role, I'm learning, still learning all the time, and I'm committing to delivery alongside with, um, with a team. How do I manage myself properly so that um, my purpose and the strategy align and, and we're able to actually move all of these forward? Those were a few of the challenges that I went through. <laughs> So in, with the latter, how did you how did you manage? How did you manage coming from a completely different sector? How did you manage? I was looking at your LinkedIn profile. You know, you're very clear on who you are and your personality to come into an environment where you don't know people. You're learning probably multiple jobs. You know, like it's you've got your CEO role, you're trying to understand the practices, you've got your place in the system, and then there's also this national voice. So how are you how are you approaching that and how do you bounce back from the days where people are like Brandy slow down and you're like this is a no brainer? How do you balance that? Oh that's interesting. So how do I balance it? Um okay. So there's a couple of things here I think that I that kind of that I probably need to share just so that you can understand the bedrock and you'll understand it more. Um, when you are a me and you look like me, one of the things that you learn to do very, very, very quickly from age maybe four, you know, when you actually start understanding, is to know what's in your control and manage at speed and work twice as hard. Okay, so I've got a really strong ethic of work and a sense of purpose and what I stand for. I, I really know what I want, where I want to go to, what I want to do, how I want to deliver. So that really helps because that grounding piece means I am not wobbly and when I wobble, I'm really quick to stand straight. So that, that's really helpful. And let's also be clear, because I'd moved sectors a few times, um, so I'd worked in hospitality, retail, aviation, all very different sectors. I really wasn't um, wasn't nervous about doing it again into healthcare. So there's that kind of subtle confidence around, I've moved three times. Doesn't really matter really if you had a fourth. And then there's a bit around knowing who you are because of, because of the circumstances that you're, let's face it, born into, okay? So that really helped. In terms of how I managed when I actually started and how I had that fair balance, I think, Tara, it was about actually understanding what was in my control. So I know my boundaries. I've always known my boundaries. I know what I'm good at. I know what I'm pretty rubbish at. And I think once you have that clarity, life becomes a little bit easier because there's certain things that you think just don't add to it. This is done. And there's certain things that you think I need to speak to somebody who knows and certain things that this is just not my skill. Somebody else can take it away. So knowing my boundaries really helps. I also know, knew that I had control of my own thoughts and actions. So nobody forced me to go to come into the role. I chose to go into the role. So from that perspective, I knew that I was in control of my thoughts and actions. So if it was if I was going to be successful in the role through learning and through adding value and through creating value, that was down to me. If I was not going to be successful, that was down to me. I also understood that there was going to be a lot of noise at system level. And because of experience, and experience is great, isn't it? 
I knew how to navigate what is clear noise, what is political, what is a must do, what is delivery, what does the patient need. And I think finally, um, it really helps that I'm able to give my energy to myself. Um, I, I focus on where I take my energy and I'm a really energetic person. And I am actually, um, it's quite interesting because um, I'm actually not at my best when I'm not around lots of energetic people, which is interesting, isn't it? Because come six, seven o'clock, I'm tired out because there's yeah. so much adrenaline going on. Because of that, I surround myself with um, people in those environments who help me do what I need to do. So I think all of those coming together gave that puzzle a real shape and, and really supported me um, in the role. And you mentioned when you do, I suppose, have moments of doubts, we do have a bad, bad, bad day, you manage to bounce back quickly. What strategies do you use to bounce back quickly? Um, <clears throat> I've always believed that, um, that there's two rooms in, in my life. There's a room called um, fear and worry, and there's a room called hope and crack on. <laughs> so when I've had a really bad day, I just move. It's a bit like, you know, when you move from the kitchen to the living room with your cup of tea. It's as simple as that. I move rooms internally from the fear and worry and concern to actually the hope, the crack on, the positive room. And that's how I do it. I do have some chill out moments, which is my kids aren't listening so I can see a little bit of space away from them in a room by myself. Um, just flicking through a really glossy magazine and just watching some some soaps or some really daft TV and mm. um, you know things that for some people it's like why on earth would you actually waste your time on <laughs> those, are my, those are like my really serious go-to things to actually help me but once I've moved rooms then I make that happen. What program is like your guilty pleasure? <laughs> oh my god um, so I, I went to I went to university, I went to Scottish University, I went to University of Edinburgh. <clears throat> and when I was at uni, there was this thing called River City. There was this soap called River City, but you can only see on BBC Scotland. Um, and so I, I watch it on, on catch up. And so that soap, I mean, sometimes I actually believe everything that goes on there. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like in it and I know exactly. And if you think about how many years was it ago that I left TV and I still watch it, I just love it. And then underpinning it is Coronation Street, which is like my thing. Honestly, Tara, I actually believe those characters are real. So those two things, and Strictly when it starts, you know. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, it's a nice cocktail. Absolutely. If you could see my face when she said Coronation Street, I was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> So in regard, when, given your, all of your experience, if I was a new manager coming to work in your organisation and I'd, I'm crossing over sectors, what advice would you give to me about getting to grips with primary care? Well, I love that question. Okay. First thing I'll say is try to make sure your brain doesn't stop on a weekend, stop working on a weekend because primary care is 24-7. So you just position your brain to do a 24-7 thing and always scanning around is the first thing I, I, I would say, because if you stop it at five o'clock on a Friday, you will miss a beat, a heartbeat. Then I would say um, three things, actually. 
uh, I would say you're probably nervous about technical capability. I seen you've not been a practice manager before, you've not been a reception manager before, all of that kind of stuff. How to don't worry about it. Really don't worry about that. Because those technical capabilities can be trained you. You just need to go into the role with a mindset of I really want this. There is a purpose to why I want this. If you're going in it, I'm sure nobody does, but if you're going in it for the money, it's probably it will probably throw you because it'll be way too much. But you have to go in it for purpose. So I would say <clears throat> go in it for that purpose, but don't worry about the technical capability because you can bridge that gap. I would say be prepared have the poise and the energy for a marathon because boy it's hard work so having that hard work ability and making sure that you've got that understanding that your your technical capability can really be bridged you've got to get yourself ready and then wrap it around with a little bit of confidence and then just go in there find out what people want in your in your practice in your um in your department whatever and then start working backwards from there so find out what people want what your patients want, so what your team because you've got two customers quote and unquote um, in the practice your first customers are your patients and your second customers are your team or you could look at your team as your first patients and your customers as your second patients um, as yeah so it, it really doesn't matter you've got the team and the patients they're all the same understand from them what they need and want and then get it done by working backwards towards it so in regards to that kind of 24 7 brain how it's really interesting we had a conversation in our team where the team are really dedicated and and they work over and above their hours and i was saying it seems a fun you know like it's an employee employer's dream you know like they're so dedicated they want to go above and beyond but as from running my own business for the past seven and a half years and from being a manager for like 15 years there comes a point i think what i my experience you get those people that work over and above, over and above, over and above. And then there'll come a point where they think, I'm not paid enough for this. Um, and they do lots of work that you may not see. And over time, they resent it. And I think, in my experience, I want people to deliver over and above. But I also want you to go home. I do want you to switch off because no matter how much money I pay you no matter what your title is I won't be able to give it to you if you constantly go over and above so I want that but I also don't want that you know like how do you manage that people do need to switch off yes um, so there's a difference between the brain working and the brain scanning when the brain is working, it is on full throttle, yeah? When your brain is scanning, it is different. It is, I'm watching my soaps and, I don't know, through watching my Coronation Street, somebody's gone to, I don't know, general practice because they got a cat. And I'm thinking, why shouldn't, you know, and my brain's scanning saying, why, why, why are you not going to your pharmacist? That's what I mean by use those applications and, and make sure that your brain is always scanning around you because actually that really helps you to deliver your brain work when you sit down to work. And I think 
that's the link that I'm I'm trying to 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 bridge. Okay. Um, because it can't it just cannot stop scanning for you to be able to add, create value. Uh, all that kind of stuff you, you've got to scan it because what we do as you know is it's a societal um piece of work isn't it it's not you don't go in and come back and then job done so i would say i agree with you we 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 all need to make sure that we know what our limits are and do the break there's the piece around that's that brain scan for me really does work and the applications in the, in the mind or just going to look at it laughing and thinking oh we didn't do it in primary care we didn't do it like that in primary care that's still a brain scanning or oh that's a good idea what makes it worse in primary care right i'll go back and pick my apples in the shop do you see what i mean that that's unpacking when thinking about i suppose the pace of change in the private sector to working in primary care when you have got an idea what is the first like thought around how what's your strategy to broaching the idea formulating it before you kind of you know like present it and go voila like yeah what is the stepping stones are you taking to make sure you don't waste your time and other people's time okay um good one so i when an idea pops uh doesn't matter where it comes from first i, I think about can I actually centralize this idea around sustainability? What do I mean by that? Is this idea sustainable? Because I, I, I really don't want to waste energy and time around ideas that aren't sustainable because to move from idea to vision, to planning, to delivery, to uh, check back, to all of that kind of stuff is gonna take a lot of time so it needs to be sustained so that's the first one so the idea has can't centralize around sustainability it, it's not an idea it's a fad and i'm not interested okay so that's the first one the second one for me i think is transformation and future proofing slightly different from sustainability so is that idea actually able to be future proofed can i transform it into something bigger or or even into something smaller are the capabilities of that idea really real can i get people that would like to be early adopters because the idea is ever so exciting or ever so niche or ever so different because if i don't tick that box then i've got a problem because this idea will run and i won't have any adopters and i won't you know i won't even know if it's got capability so that's that's really really key then I think the third one would be around, I need to think about talent behind this idea. You know, how do I cultivate talent behind this idea? Um, because an idea can't stay an idea for forever. It has to move from ideology to, to something that's tangible. So what is the natural resource that I have around me that I could have around me? Who are the best people that could help me to generate this idea? Um, how do I develop this? Who are the people that I need to coerce to bring in um, some more to, to, to make the idea meaty? Who are the people that I need to empower in small or large groups to start it up? Who are the people that I'm going to deploy because they've got the skills? How am I going to fill those gaps in there? And, and how how am I going to get, when it gets to implementation stage, I've got to start thinking about it at this stage, who are the best people to actually go tell the story so that it doesn't become my idea forcing into other people. I think the fourth one for me would be around actually the speed of, 
of how I actually make it happen. So if there's anything that the pandemic taught me, it was that we are actually very human beings and really capable of many things. I mean, I there was loads of stuff that I did that I didn't realise I was capable of. And that's one thing I've taken away. And I think most people have taken that away since, since pandemic times, that those learnings. So we can't really um, be efficient. We can't be fast. We can move at speed um, because we all did it. So I guess where I will be thinking is now that this idea is generating, can it be scaled fast? Can, it, can I press the speed button to make it happen? And because I, I also know that speed is actually a muscle, it needs to be exercised. And so who are the ones there that are gonna help me exercise this speed? Because some people are full of energy, aren't they? And they're the ones that I need to front. And I think finally, it'll be about, is this idea purposeful to me? Am I bought into it? If I'm not bought into it, Tara, I probably won't deliver as well as I should. So if I'm not bought into it, then I need to have a word with myself and actually find the purpose of the idea to be aligned to it. Given your background, do you ever find, do you ever, has anybody ever said like, I feel like you're talking a different language because you're very corporate. And I think when I think of my peers, they will say to me, Tara, like, I don't know, what, you know, like, just tell me in like, just normal speak. And I think when I am, I am speaking, <laughs> aren't I? I'm not like, I am speaking English. <laughs> and it just goes over their head. Do you yeah. ever have that feedback? Um, do you know, it depends. Communication is great, isn't it? So I, I, as again, through experience, I know to tailor my, my thoughts and communication to the audience I've got. So I, and I've, I've got a full skill for experiencing this. So I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm prominent with speakers for schools, which is an organization that goes to schools and talks to people. Yeah. So, you know, I could be talking literally to key stage one pupils and I could be taking, talking to six formers. I'm also quite prominent in my old university. So I could be there talking to, you know, people in your final year at uni, um, or I could be out there doing the speech to business women. So it's that skill, I think, that, as you know, you kind of pick as you go. So depending on your audience, you're able to peel, unpick, explain, um, navigate, support, help, have those micro conversations, pre the conversation, post the conversation, because every individual in a team really matters and every individual has a role and every individual makes a difference and they all think about things differently. So. And it's really important also that if I am speaking to say, I don't know, executives, I'm I'm not treating them as if they are, you know, they're daft because these are very, very, very smart people. So, um, so I guess that's where communication and experience comes in around, who am I pitching this against? What is it they want? What do I think they need to get out of it? And actually bringing them into the conversation around, you just tell me what you want to get out of it. And then I can just go, I can scale it right down or I can scale it up. Or I can actually flip and flop, which I do a fair bit depending on what the audience wants. Are you bought into the primary care network? Am I bought into PCN? Um, generally, yes because because of my background i guess because i've always worked in brands okay so i see the pc and as a very very loose brand 
It is a place that we can get everybody together. We can have the same conversations, have communal conversations and root out similar but different challenges. It's only under that umbrella that we, we can we can do it, I, I think. But you don't need that umbrella because you've got a super partnership. Correct, and I was gonna to come to that. Okay. So what makes mine so exciting, and I'm really proud of it, is the fact that I've got my super partnership, I've got my PC in, I've got my locality, you know, we're our own um, integrated care. Our own island. Uh, yeah, we are as well. <laughs> so, so it's brilliant. But actually, ours happened um, by coincidence because the, the conversation, the engagement of becoming a super partnership actually happened on the same day, I believe, that the government announced PCNs. So we, they, everybody in, in the locality agreed to go into PCNs, any, uh, into, uh, into super partnership anyway, and they decided let's do the both because, you know, they, everybody knows what it's like, things come and go, um, but at least if we're one entity, um, but keeping our own individuality, we can still do stuff. So I guess from, from my background of brands, um, and, and I know you'll, you'll, you'll understand that, I, I, I get it because you can just have that that one big conversation and you can also tailor it just like you have a big brand and you have individual size so for instance you know um when i worked for tesco i set up operations for uk and ireland i i i had about 600 stores but some of them were in the uk and and you can tailor it can't you it's the same as our practices you can tailor it so i'm bought into into it from that perspective what does worry me is um, and it's probably not a, a worry probably the wrong word but my apprehension is where pcns are just existing without the structural support around it um from a non-clinical perspective because it's always going to be clinical structure around pcns but the right structural support around it from a non-clinical perspective is the bit that i get apprehensive about around actually will that then support this this network this brand lose you know this pcn because you need all of that to be able to you need a, a proper structure around it to make it hold but you have got that well i've got that we've got that so that yeah. can help a little bit okay i only i ask because i think where you're like innovation you want to run and then I sometimes feel like from a PCN perspective, they're like, can you do that? Oh, but don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. Oh, that's, that's happened. <laughs> that does happen. You know, it's like, um, I, I, I remember actually saying to, um, to our chair, actually, about seven months after I joined, this is just too slow for me. I'm, I, I, it's just too slow for me. It's not, it's not going fast enough for me. I'm not, I'm not sure I'm achieving anything because me this is the fastest we've ever gone <laughs> it's so funny um there's a lady called uh, gracia she is amazing she's a pcn manager but she used to be a community oh no she used to be a matron in a hospital in a uh-huh. pediatric ward and i was working with her and she sadly decided to go back to that she i was like why she was like it is so boring it's so, <laughs> it's so slow i was like it's you know like it depends kind of yeah where you've come from that sort of environment but i think um what is interesting what other people think is you know slow <laughs> it's like come to primary care um, but what is what makes it slow 
is the amount of people that you need to pick up and bring on with a vision and understand their point of view. But it's like a snowball. Once they get it, it's like, and you kind of create the environment for them to run with it. Then, then it's like, I know what I'm doing. You know, like back off. I know what I'm doing. It takes a while to mobilise it, but then once they, in my in my experience, once they have got it and understand, and they like and they trust you, it's like, okay, now we're ready. You know, <laughs> now we're good to go. You're so right. It is a steam train that needs lots and lots of trust underneath it. You're absolutely right. I mean, let's face it, PCN is like a, a large branded organization. It's all about delivery. Um, and once people, it's for me, it's about taking what can't <clears throat> be delivered in a small scale and then doing it at central scale for the teams, uh, taking it off their hands so they can just carry on with what's important. And you've got to show that you can do, you know, you, you can do what you say you want to do. Because if you remember the conversation we had, one of my nervousness was about the promises and the delivery, you know, so if I'm going to promise something, I, I need to deliver it for my own sanity um, because that's really important. And I think PCM leaders, um, most of them probably do think the same because I think if, if you don't deliver, then then it, it calls the question, um, what is a PCM there for? Um, and, and it's, it's the same you know, in the organisation, frankly. Um, it's interesting you say that, because I think there are loads of entities and pockets in the NHS which don't deliver, but yet they are still funded. But I think we're probably saying the same, but in a slightly different way. When it comes to the primary care networks, I think, for better or worse, there's an opportunity here. So let's see how, you know, organisations like yours will take that opportunity and run with it you know and turn that turn it into something spectacular in other areas that opportunity you know like it's just baby steps yes and that's okay you know like you can't if people don't want to go on the steam train you know like there's no amount of money Correct. you can't buy Pete you know that like you think you can but you can't if they don't they don't understand and don't see the opportunity yeah. and I liken it like I see the PCNs like they're like a startup and they've had this kind of investment in them. And I think it would be foolish and unrealistic to expect them all to succeed. And I think some areas will fail. That is normal, natural, that is business. Some are just not mature enough. They're not, they're just not there. It'll be interesting. I don't know what the future holds, but I think it's normal for, for us to be on a spectrum, but yeah. it's very interesting for people like me to look at, you know, I'm like, I need to speak to Dan after I've spoken to you. I'm like, oh my God, you need, we need to speak to Brandy. <laughs> like, it's interesting. It's inspiring to see other areas, but your structure is very different. So it's trying to, I think one of the things we need to learn from other areas, but there's always differences. And what we need to better do is not go, well, Brandy's a super partnership, so that's why she can do it. It's a bit like, but what, if we take that away mm -hmm. what have they done mm -hmm. how has she approached it how do you um package your idea mm -hmm. how do you identify that talent because this the principles are the principles you've just got a different structure which in some respects make make it easier but i'm sure that there'll be other um structures that go it's completely different and ours is easier ours is better it's, it's, different is better than better 
Absolutely, because I think if you speak to if you speak to super practices, they will also say to you, this is more efficient than super yeah. partnership because they just is the one decision and it just rolls down. Um, <clears throat> I think what I think you're re, you're right. I think if you think about what we said earlier around these are six thousand, these where are still over six thousand individual small businesses scattered around doing their own thing in a way what we're trying to do i think is trying to cluster it and and we see this in 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 normal business where you have all all sites you have clusters then you go into regions international so what we're trying to do is just cluster it and then try and work together i think for some for some areas this is the first time they actually having to work together and, and and yes there are you know if you're in a pcn where it's got if you're in a locality where you've got three or four or five PCNs in there, it must be a nightmare. I mean, I I, I, I can't tell because I haven't got that problem. I'm not sure you're not here. I'm saying it with real humility here. Um, but it must be a nightmare. <laughs> you know? um, yeah, we agree, but what about that PCN? What about that PCN? And you're sat there in this, I think, opportunity, your point, opportunity around integrated uh, care partnership and localities, but yet you can't, you can't decide because there's six PCNs sat in the same look at it it must be quite something but you say like there's six pcn sometimes sometimes there's just six practices correct correct (laughs) Correct. you know so you you don't go into sort of micro focusing micro conversation you're kind of rehashing yourself and that's all good because you're engaging but then it slows to your point it slows the uh, what you're trying to do um but but i i'm in the camp i'm in the tarot camp around let's just take it i mean what what's the worst that could happen this is why i say to people the worst that could happen is that pcms don't work but what's the best that could happen it could actually really work Um, but it's all the mindset i think the worst thing that could happen is the relationships between practices really break down like I think that is, I think patients will be fine, but I think, you know, it's PCNs up and down the country are getting divorced. And sometimes it's amicable, and sometimes it's, it's like it, it's really messy. And I think that, yeah, next door neighbours that are really, you know, they fundamentally their values are different, and they've been they in they felt forced to work together yeah it's really broken down i think that's probably the worst thing that happened i think the best thing that is could happen is the sky's the limit you know that you really there are some really entrepreneurial practices federation super partnerships that are generating income they're generating you know more employment their staff are happy their patients are happy and yeah it does sometimes i think it's it's very inspiring and i think that healthcare is not going away but one of the things i just want to say to you is what do you think so i feel like you've talked about strengths we've talked about opportunities which are kind of limitless um what is the threat to your particular is there a threat to the super partnership model um like like most models there's always threats isn't there um, there, I think one of them you've already mentioned. There's differences in opinion sometimes because remember, you know, super practices, super partnerships are not super practices. They're not one. 
they're a bit like franchise organizations so you all have the same umbrella but you're doing your own thing in a way but actually there is one yeah, yeah. support um and so relationships could break down if there is no strong leadership at the top to tr- to try and hold it all together I think there's this risk of underrepresentation as well, actually, around, you know, on the board, obviously, with the, if there is a board for a super uh, partnership, if there are certain board members, because there's one representation from each practice, that probably aren't feeling heard, and they feel underrepresented for their practice, that could bring some nuances to, to the relationship. Um, and like everything else, you know, no model is... Um, is is strong enough to hold all the tests of time you know, it's a sustainability issue so when you've got a structure behind it can you hold it can the structure hold can you afford to hold that structure all the time if not then you need to be income generating to support that structure does that then bring a risk but I, but i think to the earlier point to tara there are certainly from my locality where we are you know traditional general practice wasn't working for us so there'll be pockets certainly seaside locations um there'll be pockets in 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 the uk where traditional general practice hasn't worked because it's always been really hard because of societal problems all that kind of stuff so any solution for us in my locality was like that'll do we'll try it so it depends on where you are yeah anyway you're up (laughs) you know yeah your red lines disappear if, if if you're in 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 a real um in a real hole aren't you so you try anything so i think that gives you that appetite when you know that actually you're you're, you're struggling from a workforce perspective you're trying struggling for a delivery everything's going wrong then you're more likely to to make it work for you and take the nuances of it okay one of the things i'm sure people have said to you like there in some respects primary care is very diverse and i think i remember i used to work um in a university and towards my the end of that kind of career i remember thinking i want to work in a place which is really diverse and that i feel really just really welcomed and you know the the color of my skin is not a problem and i i feel like i have that in primary care it is really diverse and i i love it and i think there is one particular area where I was a bit, it's too, I think I've worked in City and Hackney and Kent and Medway where I live, the Medicines Optimization Board. I just thought, oh my God, this is incredible. This is amazing. <laughs> like we're all, every shade was lovely. Um, but at the same time, I think maybe I think it's diverse because I attract diversity. But other people come up to me and say, Tara, how can you make it more diverse? Has any, do people say that to you? So I think one of the first conversations you and I had was around inclusion and diversity, wasn't it? Um, you know, I say side conversation, but I think you're right. If you want to broad brush it, <clears throat> primary care is very diverse, and and so is secondary care, and and so is aviation, and so is every organisation is diverse, right? But you need to peel it back yeah. to go, okay, where does diversity start and stop? Um, and what type of diversity are you talking about? Because when I talk about diversity, I, I'm not looking at, I'm not looking at race only. I'm looking at gender. I'm looking at socioeconomic background. I'm looking at education. I'm looking at disability. I'm looking at ethnicity. I'm looking at culture and language. I'm looking at sexual orientation. I'm looking at religion. I'm looking at political beliefs. I'm looking at 10 facets. So it really depends on 
where we think primary care's diversity sits and which angle we're looking at. And for me, it is bigger than the statement of it being diverse because to our initial conversation, why did I get very excited connecting <laughs> yeah, with you? Because it's not diverse. <laughs> it's not racially diverse. Or uh, maybe, I don't, you know, like when you don't want to say it, but you can say it because I'm black. There aren't, there, there is. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. There aren't, as there, it's not diverse in regards to black leaders. I think that. I, I think that like, will be the better statement to, to make in certain areas. And I think, I think clinically we've gone a long way. Um, but I think perhaps maybe non-clinical, there's, there's, there's a long way to go, but that's just one aspect of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of, of, of diversity, I think. And and for me, it's, you know, peeling back to the race thing, it's important for the next generation, though, Tara, because when I was in my 20s, I didn't even, I don't think primary care even crossed my mind. Primary yeah. you? It didn't mean, it like, I say to people, it's, you walk past, I would walk past a doctor's surgery, I'd go to a doctor's surgery, and it never, ever, ever occurred to me no, that I could work there. You know, it's like, you walk past that bungalow and you think, oh, okay. <laughs> I didn't even <laughs> see it. I didn't register to me that this was a place of employment for somebody like me. Correct. But having you doing what you do, having conversations like these, seeing people doing certain roles will then get a 17, 18, 19, 20 year old, let's face it, that's what they do, they Google, to Google, to search, to learn, to understand. And that's where that representation from a race perspective matters, as well as all the other stuff. So it to support that so where you mentioned so when you your other roles so where you talked about speaking and going into schools it's like wh why are you doing that a big why <laughs> thank you for asking that question actually because that's uh very meaningful to me um the big why is that i didn't see anyone that looked like me when I was growing up in the role that I wanted to do. So when I came out of uni and I started working, I worked straight in hospitality and um, there was nobody at the top. We talked about sort of a C-suite because that's what you look at, they look like me. But there was somebody from a diversity perspective in terms of gender, yes. this amazing lady who was just awesome. She used to be the CEO in those days at TGI Fridays, um, Karen Forrester. And I mentioned her name everywhere I go because she was this really cool lady, lovely, long hair. I just loved her, you know, and, and I used to think, oh, I want to be like Karen Forrester. <laughs> so from a gender diversity perspective, I had that hook. Um, education wasn't a problem for me because I was very lucky. I'd gone to a top uni, so that bit was that socioeconomic, I was fine. Disability, I couldn't obviously um, recognize with. Race, issue. There was nobody that looked like me. Ethnicity, culture, language. Um, sexual orientation was all right because you know most people that I knew had the same sort of, you know, the thinking. Religion was sort of, sort of all right. Uh, political beliefs were, were all right because you kind of surround yourself with certain people, don't you, when it, it becomes. But, you know, to, to think of the race thing. So for me, when I when I talk to, and I love being around the next generation purely because they're just very different from me, Tara. Yeah. They, 
they just blow my mind. They throw questions and I have to think through it. They don't care. They're fearless. They are <laughs> strong. They are just marvelous. They are, you know, you just, yeah. So they're brilliant. But I love going there because, and bearing in mind, I, I live in the southwest of England. I, I live on the borders of Devon and Cornwall. There isn't a lot of people that look like me. So if I rock up at a school in the middle of Cornwall, that is good stuff for that one, two, three kids in the whole of that town or village that look like me or nearly like me. That's just life-changing. It's interesting that I, I don't do that. <laughs> I don't speak at schools, <laughs> I can't be honest. I don't, <laughs> like, I feel really bad. I don't speak at schools. But I, do you know what? It's interesting talking to you. I just don't have your confidence. Oh, and I think Oh, that's you do. No, oh, I don't. it. <laughs> I, don't, I don't. And I think that I, if I'm being really honest, sometimes i think you it comes across like you embrace it you know who you are you walk into a room you, you know you, you probably command that attention and you like it whereas sometimes i'll be really honest i'm speaking breast practice it's a conference yeah and they've asked me to chair one of the, like, the theaters i am i was gonna swear i am crapping myself oh, no, like, the thought no, of you know like i think are they why have they asked me you know i sometimes struggle being the only one that looks like me and i think i wouldn't want to go to a i don't feel confident enough to go to a school and be like look at me guys you know like that i would not could not do that and think that that was be positive so that's interesting, isn't it? Because you're 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 already you're you're doing. I mean, look look at us. You're having a conversation with me. You you have one of the most popular, if not the most popular, podcast there is around. You're making a difference in your own niche, isn't it? Because we mm. we all have different niches um, that we, yeah. we 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 become sort of um, yeah. We we have the thrown of that. You, you know, in your own world, in your own PC world, you're making such a big difference. You got you know I. I connected with you for God's sake. You know, you're making a difference from that perspective. I I think, um, Tara, there's a bit around, you know, there's something you said that that's really interesting, and we probably don't have time to go into it, but that's for another, another conversation. Around, you know, the bit around um being confident in knowing what you stand for and all that kind of stuff. I think it has come by default because nobody is coming, nobody is seeing, nobody is waiting. So you kind of get to a stage where you think, well, nobody's coming, are they? So I might as well just crack on it. <laughs> Do you know what? I think if anyone's listening to this podcast, I don't know if I like cut this out. I think, and I had this conversation a little bit with Seddy someday. And I think what the point I'm trying to make, and maybe this is what, if I ever got invited to go to my old school, I would say, um, there are some of us that you just have that confidence. And there are other people that if I don't think about what I'm doing, I am confident, if that makes sense. I'm just doing yes. it. My yes. eyes are down, I'm just doing my work, I'm doing the podcast. I don't think, you know, yes. I, 
I'm not looking at the downloads or, you know, like all of the time, you know, like I'm just doing my job and there's, I get confidence from that. But when some, I can put the spotlight on myself, but when somebody else puts a spotlight on me, I think, oh, don't, don't do that. You're really not in control then there, you're in control. Yes, <laughs> control freak. But I think the point I'm trying to make is that, you, yes, confidence is it, it's a, a real spectrum and you can do things like set up a podcast and stand on a stage and write a book or do a presentation and not feel confident and still be successful and it's not so much imp it's a tiny bit imposter syndrome it's, it's a variety of things but you can do it and be insecure that's what i'm trying you can do it and be very insecure absolutely um absolutely. i agree yeah or you can just do it and not be insecure and that is great like you that is amazing but if you do find yourself going oh i'm doing it oh shit i'm doing it oh i'm doing it oh fuck, i'm doing it like that's like, that's my world that's you've just heard brilliant. inside the that brain of a crazy person brilliant. that is brilliant because actually in a world where sometimes you know people want um people to be whispering or not doing anything you, you know you choose to rock it your way and, and that is the difference isn't it um and my mum always used to say to me quiet confidence is actually priceless and it, it really is um it's absolutely priceless isn't it so so you're right there are there are some that will you know i, I always say I, I do it afraid anyway you know there's some of times i'm breaking it but i, I don't you know no red lines here <laughs> just just go and do it <laughs> Oh, Brandy, thank you so much. I really, really appreciate your time. If people want to connect with you on social media, where is the place that you hang out the most? Best place is LinkedIn. That's my thing. Um, yeah, connection in LinkedIn, always. Uh, okay. I'll leave your link in the show notes below. Thank you so much. Thank you. so much for joining us if you like what you hear I would absolutely love it if you left us an iTunes rating and five star review I know many of you give us a shout out on social media which is lovely to see you guys listening to the podcast so please come and find us on Twitter at THC Primary Care on Instagram and on LinkedIn just look for Tara Humphrey and if you're not subscribed to our newsletter please do you get to hear more insights more confessions some tips and tools and a roundup of our activity over the week so click on join the newsletter in the show notes and I will see you in the next episode.